Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're getting you ready for Eagles Chargers as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 369. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my friend Ben Fennel, where we discuss everything you need to know before the Eagles host the LA Chargers at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday. There's plenty to discuss with this team and with this matchup. We'll try to cover a lot of it right at the top of the show. After Chalk Talk, we're going to transition to Scouting Report, where we focus in on one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, second-year quarterback Justin Herbert. Then, to close out the show for Faux Focus, I chat with a guy who does outstanding work covering the Chargers for the Athletic. That's Daniel Popper. I wanted to catch up with Daniel to get his thoughts on this game, and he gives some great analysis of this Chargers team and some of their strengths, their weaknesses. I'm excited for you to hear what he thinks about this matchup against the Eagles. Before we get there, just a couple things to make sure we want to hit on. Number one, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it here on an upcoming show. Appreciate everybody that has gone on and thrown us your support. Because again, that is the best way to throw us your support and to help us out is to go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or a comment. Also, make sure you go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. Myself, Ben Fennel, Ross Tucker. We have Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl on uh, later this week as well. And we're also going to have uh, Chrissy Freud, who does a great job of breaking down quarterbacks for the Draft Network, and so we're going to talk through her top quarterbacks and how she views this entire class, Uh, so make sure you go check check that out over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. Before we get to the start of the show, I wanted to let you guys know I actually caught up with Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon this week over on Eagles Game Plan. I wanted to cut a few bites out just for this podcast because I want to make sure I give you guys uh, a little bit of what we're offering over on Eagles Game Plan. Some of this did not make the show. Some of it is in the show, but make sure you go check out the entire segment once it goes up over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. That said, let's get to some of my interview with Jonathan Gannon. Well, really excited this week here on Eagles Game Plan to be joined by Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon this week for Tape Study. Coach, thanks so much for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks for having me, Fran. Let's get to it. All right, well, the first thing I want to ask you, coming out of Sunday's game, you know, Sunday night on the flight home, Monday morning after going through the film as a staff, what was it that you were most proud of when you look at the defensive performance against the Lions? Probably just, you know, not what we played, it's how we played. You know, I feel like the D-line did a really good job of controlling the line of scrimmage in the run and pass game, and then the back seven did a good job of covering, tackling, making calls, making some plays on the ball. And I just really feel like our effort was where it needed to be to get a win on the road. And that was something Rodney McLeod talked about after the game, the population to the football. And I thought that some of these plays that we're going to break down here kind of really exhibit that and put that on display. TJ Edwards obviously saw a lot of time here in this game. What did you see overall from his performance? And what have you seen from him since you've been here in Philadelphia? Yeah, so TJ, he's highly intelligent. He's very competitive. Uh, he's good in the run and pass game. He's emotionally stable, and he's got a great attitude. And um, that's like all of our guys. But uh, he's been doing a good job with, you know, doing his job first and foremost. And then when plays are coming to him, he's making those plays, and his production's going up. So very happy with how TJ's playing. 
Coach, a bunch of young players uh, seeing a lot of time. Milton Williams had a standout performance. We're starting to see Davion Taylor back in the mix with healthy. What are you seeing from some of these other young players uh, on defense as they're coming along in your scheme? Yeah, they're maximizing their reps. You know, we talked about every day we want to get a little bit better and do your job at a high level and the production will come. So, you know, whether you get 20 snaps or 30 snaps or 50 snaps, reps are valuable. So we value those reps and all of our young guys, they're doing a good job of improving every day within what we're asking them to do and have them some success when the ball comes to them. They're making some plays. So it's good to see those guys make plays when the ball comes to them. And for that entire segment, be sure to watch the entire Eagles game plan show or check out Tape Study. They both go up on Fridays on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and all of the Eagles social channels. That said, let's now get into Chalk Talk with Ben Fennell. Excited to talk through Eagles Chargers with him. Top of the show, it's Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's dive into the matchup here with Chalk Talk as I welcome in Ben Fennel to talk through uh, Eagles Chargers. We'll look back, though, for a couple topics here, looking back uh, to this Eagles win over the Detroit Lions last Sunday afternoon. And, Ben, uh, the big thing that we looked at from an offense or from a defensive standpoint, rather, just the uptick in aggressiveness. And that showed up in multiple ways, right? As you, know, you saw the aggressiveness from the linebackers downhill. We saw more blitz, I believe, than in any other game uh, for the Eagles this season. So uh, the Eagles turning up the heat a little bit in this past game. And now it's just a question, I guess, of if that's going to be something we'll watch moving forward, or if that was just a, a, a game, game plan specific situation for Jared Goff and the Lions. Yeah, it seemed like a concerted effort on both sides of the ball to kind of control and dictate the line of scrimmage. I thought the emphasis to the run game on the offensive side and then defensively, the blitzing linebackers downhill, obviously those uh, get offs by the defensive tackles, setting the tone up front. I think really controlling the line of scrimmage in a variety of ways on both sides of the ball, really set yeah. the tone for the game. And it's it's funny when you can, you know, have such an imposing presence on the on the line and you know in the pillars of the of the game. I just think when you control the line of scrimmage, you can really dictate the action, dictate the tone, dictate the momentum and have control of the game. Yeah, and that's obviously that's like one of the pillars of the team building philosophy with Howie Roseman, right? Is we're gonna we wanna obviously put a lot of emphasis on the quarterback position, but after that, it's gonna be the line of scrimmage. And that's offensive line and defensive line. That's always been the way uh that they've gone about the NFL draft and free agency, the money that they give out, the, the assets and the resources that they put into different positions uh on the roster. And so um certainly that's something that came to fruition here this past Sunday. And it's fu- funny enough, too, uh, a couple of the rookies that uh in this past class. I feel like have really started to play well. Milton Williams, uh, the third round pick from Louisiana Tech, I thought he had his best game against the Lions. And Landon Dickerson, he's starting to build week after week after week, right? I thought last week against the Raiders, he was excellent. And we saw more of the same this past week against the Lions. Yeah, I think easily their best two performances. Make sure you check out Fran's All-22 review where he highlights a bunch of plays on both of them. You know, disappointing that you don't see the design plays for the first-round pick, Devontae Smith. would like to see him just a little bit more involved into the offense there. But seeing that type of play from the second and third-round picks that we've been just craving for, especially in the trenches there, really exciting and gets us excited about the rest of their rookie campaign and really into the rest of their careers because we have high expectations for both of them. Yeah, both guys, uh, really high upside players, especially Williams, uh, with what he can be down the road. Really, really excited about his future. Now let's uh, quickly kind of look ahead 
to this matchup. And as always, we'll kind of structure this through the prism of Eagles game plan, which you and I uh, produced once again this week. We just got done this week's shoot this morning with Mike Quick and John Clark and Ike Reese. So uh, let's first start with the matchup of the Eagles defense against Justin Herbert and the Chargers offense. And uh, you've watched a lot of this, this Chargers team over the last few uh, last few weeks, over the course of the season. And you and I talked uh, on Monday morning and really Sunday night about what the, the issues facing this Chargers offense right now and what the best version of that offense looks like. Because obviously they're coming off a two-game skid. The offense kind of sputtering a little bit. So I would sh- just kind of share your thoughts on, on how you view this offense right now in its current state. Well, Justin Herbert's an amazing quarterback. I think, you know, uh, one of the more exciting young quarterbacks into his sophomore season. But the continuity this year, I don't think has been talked about enough with the Chargers. New offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, coming over from the Saints, long time with Drew Brees. But Justin Herbert is operating behind five completely new offensive linemen from last year. There was a concerted effort to get a new left tackle, left guard in free agency, center in free agency, and then some injuries on the right side. In addition to no real replacement to Hunter Henry's presence as the wide tight end, things are very different in the huddle for a sophomore quarterback. And that can be turbulent just to find that continuity, that chemistry, that in-game adjustments and the communications and not saying it's been all offensive line. You know, Rashawn Slater has been a bright spot. He looks really good at left tackle. There's some improvements. Corey Lindsay looks great at center. He was worth the money. But just having a different setting and different voices in the huddle going from your rookie to sophomore year just changes things a little bit. So I think they're just trying to find some baseline, figuring out what they do well, what they can rely on, and how to not have these high-variant performances like we've seen the past two weeks. That game against Baltimore, nobody expected the Ravens just to come and trample them like they did. So it's just figuring out why these week-to-week you know, uh, performances are happening and how to kind of baseline the performances. Yeah, and again, Joe Lombardi coming over from the Saints, right? It's uh, a lot of bunch sets and formation variation. We're going to try and win pre-snap with some of the looks. And, and when you have a quarterback like a Drew Brees, that can definitely be beneficial, right? He's got that ability. He's got uh, the pelts on the wall. He's uh, spent enough time, uh, the thousand hours, a hundred, a hundred thousand hours spent putting work into studying defenses, see understanding what he's going to see pre-snap, but they're not necessarily known right now, especially, you know, and I think the numbers kind of bear this out for some of the tools that a lot of offenses will use to help a young quarterback. So you obviously you have a guy in Justin Herbert, who's in his, you know, this is what we're coming up on 20 starts for Justin Herbert at this point. They're, uh, they're low on, you know, RPOs and screens and empty and shift in motion and two running back sets, all those things that you would say, well, this is, these are some of the things you can do to help out a young quarterback. They're instead relying, Hey, we've got the Jimmys and Joes. We've got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Austin Eckler. You've got some weapons here. We're going to change up what we do from a formational standpoint. Uh, we'll create some, you know, natural rubs and some pick up some well-designed quick game passes. And that's the other thing too. I think a lot of people think of Justin Herbert, big arm. This is a, a, a vertical offense. This is an offense that is essentially they're working off the quick game. Uh, they will have some stretch elements where uh, maybe he'll work touchdown to check down, but otherwise uh, they, they, they want to work within that five to 12 yard window. You know, and I think it's really important conversation. Justin Herbert last year as a rookie was incredible making tight window throws under pressure. We did a little bit of a study in the off season on him and watched a stretch yep. of four or five four games. Downs, and yeah. We were both blown away. However, tight window throws under pressure constantly is not a sustainable formula. It's nice that he has done it and has shown it, 
but it's not like you want to be in the business of making those tight window throws under pressure on a down-to-down basis. It's like the conversation we have about receivers making contested catches. It's good he can do it, but you don't ever want to be in the business of having to make contested catches all the time. So when you see franchise quarterbacks making amazing throws all the time, but your offense is struggling, and there's a lot of that going around the NFL right now, you need to do a little bit of an assessment of your offense and saying, are we getting the yards after catch opportunities? Is he getting the ball out of his hand quickly? Are you scheming guys open, whether within the route or helping them get off the line through releases? Is there balance in your play calling? Are defenses allocating resources to the run game and making the pass game easier? The MVP last year, Aaron Rodgers, played in the most quarterback-friendly system in the NFL. And I don't think that's really appreciated enough is the setting he was in. Amazing talent in a great offense. Justin Herbert's an amazing player. I just don't know if you're doing enough to make it quarterback-friendly. And Fran, if you scheme open a touchdown, what's that worth? Seven points still, right? If I check, yeah. Who cares, you know, if you if you help a guy get open or help a quarterback make a throw, it still counts the same. Uh, no, no one was ripping Patrick Mahomes for throwing touchdowns on shovel passes and screen game and RPO and, and those kinds of things. The, the production's there. And now you, know, you and I talked about this a lot this offseason. When you have that great scheme, when you have that great talent, well, now you're putting the, your guy in position, your quarterback in position to make a lot of those easy layup throws. And now you only have to make those superhuman throws every once in a while and Maybe you're playing with a little bit more confidence, a little bit more juice. You get into a rhythm more. And now all of a sudden, some of those alien throws, some of those crazy plays, well, they don't, they don't feel as forced and they're coming naturally. And that's the thing I, you know, just looking back, you mentioned you look around the NFL. I think when you look at the Chiefs right now, they're obviously they're they're facing some adversity, right? And I think everybody, it's funny that now everybody wants to, to rip the offense and rip all it's it's the RPO, it's this pro, it's this fault, it's this fault. It's like, no, like if you are doing all those different things to be able to help a quarterback. Well, as long as that quarterback is still playing within that structure, things are going to be there for him. And I think that ultimately when you look at Herbert, uh, he makes throws every single game that just make you go like, man, like either if you're sitting up, you're going to lay back in your chair and you're like, man, I can't believe you just did that. If you're laying back, you're going to sit up. He's just got one of those guys that uh, just generates that kind of reaction from you as you're studying him on film. Uh, every blade of grass is available to him on every single play. Uh, but uh, I agree. It's, it's, it, the offense can be a little tough to watch uh, at certain points, especially over these last couple of weeks. Yeah. And it's something we've tongue in cheek called hero ball. Right. You know, and it's very intensive, high stress executions for quarterbacks. Tom Brady does it a lot in Bruce Arian system. It's what I think Derek Carr does with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. And I just don't think it's sustainable unless you're a Tom Brady type of player, which he is a absolute freak show. I just think quarterback friendly sounds like such a negative. It's such a well, it's at the expense of your quarterback's ability. And that's really not the case. Right. And I think we used to get so or are so, you know, blown away with Patrick Mahomes' abilities. That's still a beautiful marriage of scheme and talent. Yep. And I think Mahomes may get a couple extra credits, you know, because of the amazing things he's done with arm angles and amazing throws and stuff. That entire success in Kansas City is a marriage of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. And it would not look as it does today without both of them and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and the situation that Patrick Mahomes is in. I know they're struggling this year for a variety of reasons, but 
we know what they've done and, and their success. Sure. Uh, the resume speaks for themselves. Uh, looking at the rest of this offense from a personnel standpoint, you know, we mentioned Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. Let's just kind of boil down. Well, I guess we'll start with Keenan Allen. He, he leads this team in targets right now. He's got 66 targets. Uh, you've got Mike Williams taking it up next with 57 targets, Austin Eckler with 39. So th- those are the guys uh, to worry about right now offensively in the pass game. Uh, but it, it, to me, I look at it, it's like very well-defined roles within that pass game. If you want to speak, I know you've studied this offense so, so thoroughly uh, to their roles and what they offer Justin Herbert and Joe Lombardi. Yeah, you know, I really like Austin Eckler's presence in the offense, kind of that Alvin Kamara pass-catching role out of the backfield, a lot of screens and angle routes and things like that. Unfortunately, dropped one last week that led to an interception. Keenan Allen's route-running ability is really impressive. Mike Williams is almost used like a move tight end. His presence in the slot and a lot of tight splits, climbing up on safeties, and he hits a lot of his deep moves with that tight alignment and nobody jamming him or bumping him or rerouting. He's just climbing on safeties and winning vertically. He's a lot a of the Michael Thomas stuff. No question. No question. The way he kind of commanded over the middle of the field there yep. for the Saints, same way Mike Williams operates. There's some philosophical issues, though, with Keenan Allen and his route running takes time. Some of the times there's double moves and unconventional routes. They take time. The offensive line just hasn't been able to hold up. So I like the way they run the ball, establish their shot in deeper plays off play action, give Herbert a little bit more time, a little more separation from the line of scrimmage. They came out right away last week against the Patriots with that philosophy, then got away from a little bit and went pass, 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 a little too heavy in my opinion. So I think a little balance in that offense can really help things out get Justin Jackson involved. Let's see Josh Kelly out there, maybe in some pony sets like we had seen previous this year. I think you can do some more to kind of help Justin Herbert. We thought we talked about that 41 yarder, uh, the play you mentioned. It was third play of the game, 41 yards to Keenan Allen off play action. We broke that down on Eagles game plan this week. Craig Cosell did a great job with that breakdown. So uh, we definitely wanted to focus in on that, that aspect of the Chargers offense going up against the Eagles defense and then kind of flipping the script here a little bit when you look at the other side of the football. You know, really, I, when you look at this defense, the thing that stood out to me watching them is that, and we talked about it earlier this week with Craig, philosophically, they do a lot of the same things. You see here with Jonathan Gannon in the Eagles defense where, uh, you know, it's a lot of uh, starting off with too high shell. It's heavier zone. They play a little bit more, man, uh, especially in that Chiefs game. So that's thrown the numbers off a little bit. The, I think the big difference is you see a little bit more um, in terms of the aggressiveness with their fronts and changing things up, moving guys around. Uh, they'll br- bring in a few more um, uh, defensive backs. They'll play a little bit more depth in terms of their dime. Uh, so they'll do a little bit more from that standpoint. But philosophically, very, very similar the one big thing I, th- I you look at is like, all right, Derwin James is an absolute freak show at safety. And then Joey Bosa, one of the best, uh, def- you know, one of the best pass rushers in the league. But just talk about James and the impact he has on that defensive scheme. Cause we highlighted him. He's a, an entire segment this week in Eagles game plan. Yeah. He's really impressive off and down there in the in that linebacker role. And he's wearing the green dot, you know, he's the quarterback of that defense and Brandon Staley last year gave that to rookie Jordan Fuller. You're seeing that trend a little bit more. The safeties calling the defense. That's now Derwin James. He doesn't come off the field if he doesn't have to. Can play back, can play down in the box. You better account for this guy in the run game because I know he sometimes plays that creeping halfway roll in the box. You don't know whether you need to. If he's anywhere around the box, I need to make sure I have a body accounting for him because he gets from A to B in a hurry, huge tackling radius, and he's nasty and aggressive when he gets there. So he's an impact play away. 
every play, every opportunity he's on the field. So always got to make sure Derwin James is accounted for. And Joey Bosa, he doesn't have his Robin and Melvin Ingram this year. I think he needs a little help on that line. Could it be Jerry Tillery? It's going to need to be. But Joey yeah. Bosa, he can destroy some one-on-ones. If you think, hey, we could full slide and kick a back and a tight end over to him, he's going to blow them up too. So make sure Joey Bosa is always accounted for in pass pro. And that's the thing we, t- we made sure to talk about this week on the show. Mike Quick did a good job of highlighting that is that, uh, you know, whether it, it doesn't, it's not just a, uh, it's Lane Johnson versus Joey Bosa. It's Jordan Mailata versus Joey Bosa. Four-fifths of the Eagles' offensive line is going to see Joey Bosa at some point in this game because they will slide him inside. He'll play inside the tackle, over the guard. So you know, the guards are going to have to worry about Joey Bosa at some point. Everybody's going to have uh, their opportunity to, to have to block number 97 one-on-one. And I think when you look at Bosa, too, uh, the big thing that they do with him often uh, in some of those pressure packages where they, when they get to third down, they'll put him on one side and they'll kind of overload. They'll tilt the front the other way, and that's going to force a one-on-one. And so uh, you've seen that a number of times here this season, something the Eagles will have to make sure that they contend with. I know that you've done a lot of work pulling some numbers uh, for this game. Interested to kind of get your thoughts on, because I've actually got one as well. Uh, Interested to see which one stands out most to you as it pertains to this matchup. Well, I want to reflect back to the unsustainability of Justin Herbert's excellence. Mm. You know, last year, best in the NFL under pressure, 57% completions, 13 touchdowns, really impressive. Yeah, It's not a sustainable formula. Under pressure this year, 21st in completion percentage, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, but just not yielding the results. And I just don't think operating that way is a consistent, sustainable formula. It's nice he can do it. You just don't want to get into that business. The other thing, Fran, I love this kind of conflicting philosophies and styles. The Eagles got back to running the ball last week. Well, the Chargers are really struggling to stop the run, and it's impressive how poor they are because they're 32nd in rushing yards before contact. So what does that mean? Allowing some big lanes and not fitting up the run properly, but 29th in rushing yards after contact. So also not tackling and getting that ball carried down when you get there. It's tough to be in the bottom of both those categories. Typically one or the other losing Kenneth Murray at linebacker earlier in the year was a huge loss for them. Him and Drew Tranquil were playing really well. Derwin James had come flying down. Linval Joseph's the run plugger. Now you're starting to get the injuries and the trickle effect. And now you got to play some rookies like the kid at Oklahoma state or Nick Neiman or Kaiser white has to play a little bit more. We all go through injuries. Some teams hit them harder at certain spots. Kenneth Murray going down for the chargers tough loss for them. That's the thing is when you watch that defense early and it's Murray and true tranquil out there, it's a, it was a pretty good group. Tranquil has turned into a really nice player. He uh, looked great. I mean, watch that chiefs game in week three, he blew up that chiefs offense, destroyed yep. a bunch of screen plays. And anytime you take a linebacker in the first round, Fran, what does that typically mean? You needed a linebacker, didn't you? Yeah. So they took Kenneth Murray in the first round in 2020 because they needed one. Just unfortunate. He hasn't been able to, uh, to uh, be available this season because of the injury. Yeah, no doubt. You sniped me on that run defense stat. That was, that was oh, just, is that what it was? Yeah, oh, I'm good. sorry. Yeah. Right. Oh, it was good. It was, but it's, a, it's a, a big number, but we'll see. Uh, I, I actually was pretty that. confident you weren't going there because we love to <laughs> obviously give up some more positive stats to our opponents, but well, that one was just such an eye popper. I wanted to mention it. That one stands out big time. Um, matchups. You got, you got a big one here in this game. It's tough when you have two teams that play a, a ton of zone, but uh, interested if you got a matchup that really stands out to you. Yeah. You know, a player we seemingly are highlighting every week on your all 22 reviews. And when we're watching the film is Avante Maddox. Mm. I think he's playing really well. I think he's going to get a variety of assignments this week. 
He's going to have to bang with Jared Cook a little bit there coming out of that move tight end. He's going to have to bang with big Mike Williams. Austin Eckler is going to catch passes underneath in the flat and some angle routes and screen plays. Maddox, maybe not playing a lot of coverage on the back end, turning and running. But Fran, every week, this guy's blowing plays up on the perimeter in the flat, triggering quickly, ripping balls out, you know, holding up ball carriers and letting other opponents come or other defenders come and try to get that ball out of there. Like we saw last week on a fumble return for a touchdown, just seemingly making big plays every week. You can find matchups all over the place, but I want to see Avante Maddox show up and I think he's going to be tested this week. Another guy on defense that I feel like has played really well for this Eagles team over the last few weeks. And we saw that with two sacks uh, against the Lions, but even going back before that, he's been, he's been rushing well. It's been Josh Sweat. And a lot of his rushes come against the opposing right tackle this week. That is Storm Norton, who has struggled uh, a lot over the last month. So th- that's a matchup for certain uh, that I'll be keeping an eye on. Can Josh Sweat harass Justin Herbert, who this week is our subject of our scouting report? Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben, let's get into our scouting report. As we look back on our notes from Justin Herbert just a year ago, coming out in the 2020 draft, uh, interested to get your thoughts on uh, just looking back on your report on Justin Herbert and uh, how that's kind of come to be here uh, so far, 20-ish starts into his NFL career. Yeah, really fun player to watch at Oregon. Was a four-year starter, was that freshman starter, which the Oregon Ducks didn't have for 30 years or whatever. Really good high school baseball player as well. Um, The big note I had during his time at Oregon that I think is really important, tons of drops throughout his career. Yeah. Routinely led the Pac-12 in drops. Yep. So he just wasn't getting that support from his supporting cast. And he had some nice receivers Dylan Mitchell here and there. And I think he threw to his brother at tight end, maybe that last year. And uh, the one tight end was a nice player. I'm blanking on his name, but I think that's really important to note because that's not going to be reflective in his stats. And, you know, those are all incompletions. Every one of those drops, was it his fault? No, but I think it's really important to note that, but athletic player can make plays on the move inside, outside the pocket. I thought he was really athletic in some QB design runs as well. Watch that Rose bowl against Wisconsin. He took some zone reads, I think 50 or 60 yards through that Wisconsin defense mechanics were a little bit weird. If that off arm flies open, his front leg flies open at times, rid of a long follow through as well, but he's a really effortless thrower. And I thought he threw with high velocity almost to a detriment in that he wouldn't throw with touch at times and maybe layer some throws at different trajectories, but he can rip passes and the tight windows all day long. Just want to see him come up with a little bit more of a uh, off-speed pitch as well. Anticipated really well. I thought his mental makeup was outstanding with rip balls on third down in a tight window. He's not afraid to pull the trigger in the red zone. But, you know, he was a big kid. I thought he moved really well. I thought he had a big arm. I thought he anticipated well. I thought he had decent accuracy. Didn't have the supporting cast. I wish he did. Uh, like you see Trevor Lawrence and these Spider-Man receivers out there in the ACC making incredible catches for him. He didn't really have that. Um, but I think it's important to note because he showed up in the NFL and I think was the best rookie quarterback last year. It's in one of the top quarterbacks in general. So I'm not sure if you had any notes uh, that conflicted with that or. No, I, I, I saw a lot of the same things. And I think when you look at it from a pure tool standpoint, I think you could pretty easily make the argument that he was, that he had the best overall skill set from the group last year. And just for a refresher for people, uh, obviously Joe Burrow went number one Tua Tonga Bailoa went early to the dolphins. Then Herbert went off the board. Then Jordan love, um, you know, late in the first round who Jordan love will be getting his first start, uh, here this coming week. But I think when you look at Justin Herbert, uh, the, the skill set that he brought to the table, 
was never really in question. And I think the the big knock on him, you know, publicly was, does he have the it factor? Is he that, is he that fiery personality? That was what, that was common discussion around Justin Herbert. And it's so funny. You and I talk about this uh, all the time now that uh, you've even said like, man, like, I don't know if I even like how much I need to watch of quarterbacks now, because so much of it is going to be about the, uh, the off field and the personality, the command and all of those things. And it's so funny that this was brought to the table. This was brought to the discussion. This was public discourse around Justin Herbert. And what happens? He steps in and all the people had all these questions. Oh, we don't know if he's, if he's got that guy, if he's got that personality, does he have that, that, you know, that, that mentality what, what happens? He shows up and he blows the doors off his rookie season. He was outstanding. As you mentioned, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And we've that's carried through. We see him making these plays play after play or week after week after week. It's just so funny that that was such a big knock on him. And really that hasn't really come to fruition at all. That, you know, that was, there was no, it was never like, Oh, like, I don't know if he's, if he's trustworthy or anything like that. It was, is he, is he tough enough? Is he, is he macho enough? You know, it's just, such a weird discourse around that entire pre-draft process for him. Yeah. And even through his success of his rookie year, I saw so many comments saying, well, the Oregon offense held him back or he wasn't able to show this or that. And I really don't understand that to be honest with you, because a lot of the amazing things he's doing with the chargers, I thought he did with Oregon. Did the receivers pull him down on the back end of the play? I don't know. Maybe not. Some he did, some they didn't, but it wasn't like he just completely morphed into a different player. I didn't see a offense at Oregon that held back his abilities by any means. I felt like they tapped in and he displayed the goods and the bads. He just didn't really know what he was being asked to do from a mental standpoint, like you had mentioned, and the responsibilities and how much they were giving him at the line of scrimmage. All that stuff, you have to understand there's limitations to evaluating these players via the tape. You have to know them a little bit. And uh, as you had said about my kind of assessment of quarterbacks and not not knowing them personally, you leave a little bit of a gray area. Um, And I'm never going to connect the dots myself. I'm going to say, I don't know. And it's all speculation at that point. And it's okay to say you don't know too. Yeah, no question. It's something we talk about a lot over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, and the other thing that's interesting about just that whole process for Herbert, uh, coming into like after his freshman year, sophomore year at Oregon, he was the guy. He, oh, this guy is going to be a, the, the number one pick, number one pick, number one pick. Then Tua took over. It's like, oh, it's like Herbert versus Tua, Herbert versus Tua. Uh, and then the tank for Tua phenomenon took over. And then Justin Burrow or Joe Burrow and the uh, the LSU Tigers go on that big run. Then they have that great season. And then it ends up being Joe Burrow that goes number one. But uh, uh, the the discussion around Herbert, I just find to be fascinating looking back, you know, two, three, four years ago. Uh, but certainly one of the top young quarterbacks in the NFL. The Eagles will get to see him here Sunday uh, at Lincoln Financial Field. Ben, we'll be back next week to talk through it all. Make sure you go check out Eagles game plan. Ben and I put a lot of work into this week's episode, as we do each and every week. You can, that will drop Fridays or on Friday on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and all of the Eagles mobile and digital channels. Ben, we will talk to you next week. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating or even leave us a comment. And I wanted to give a shout out today to someone who did exactly that. Ed left a five-star review over on our Apple Podcast page and left us a question about Eagles rookie defensive tackle Milton Williams. Ben and I talked about him a little bit earlier in the show. Here's a question from Ed. Fran, great stuff as always here on the show. 
Really appreciate you highlighting Milton Williams and his performance against the Detroit Lions. What do you think his ceiling could be moving forward? Uh, Ed, good question. And I think when you look at Milton, uh, I don't know you know, if we want to th- like throw a label in terms of what his ceiling could be, but obviously a player that I, I know I was really excited about him coming into the season. I loved him going into the NFL draft. We talked about him all the time over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. So uh, if you are subscribed and you are listening, we've been talking about Milton going back to January of this season. But I think when you look at what his skill set can be. I made the comparison in the past to Malik Jackson, and Malik had that ability. When when Malik was at the peak of his career, uh, he was one of the most disruptive defensive linemen in football. He had that positional flexibility to slide between D-end and D-tackle, quick first step, really violent hands, and I think we're continuing to see that over and over and over in flashes with Milton Williams so far, right? He's still coming along. He's still putting it all together mentally uh, in terms of how to you know string moves together and have a, a full plan of attack as a defensive lineman, but seeing those flashes of the physical tools and also the competitive toughness and the motor. Every single week, it seems, we are seeing him chase plays from the backside uh, and chase plays down the field, and it's something... You know, we talk about it. Look, that's the culture in that Eagles defensive line room, right? I mean, for years, for a decade plus, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. We see Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat. Every player that comes into the building, uh, you go back to Timmy Jernigan and certainly Malik Jackson and now Javon Hargrave, all those guys chasing down screens, chasing down quick throws, the long runs. All those guys are always chasing the football. Milton Williams, another one, uh, just kind of uh, stacking a line with the rest of this Eagles defensive front. So uh, I'm really excited about Milton Williams. We'll see if he can continue to build off of that performance against against the line. So, Ed, thanks so much for the question. Appreciate that, and appreciate everybody that has recently left reviews over on our Apple Podcast page. That said, uh, let's wrap this show up. We've got faux focus here. I told you we caught up with Daniel Popper from The Athletic. He's here to break down Eagles Chargers. It's time now to go into faux focus. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in faux focus. Excited this week for Faux Focus to welcome in the Athletics' Daniel Popper. You could follow him on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's talk through this matchup. And as always, uh, I'm going to start off with asking our guest to put on the opposing offensive coordinator's hat. We're going to so you're going to put on the Joe Lombardi hat. What is the biggest strength for the Chargers entering this game on offense? What gives Joe Lombardi the most confidence in their ability to win this game? Right. So the the you know. Common thought would be it's Justin Herbert and the passing offense. But when you dig into the numbers, the Chargers run game has actually been a lot better than their passing offense. Uh, they're number two in EPA per rush. They're number four in rushing DVOA, football outsiders efficiency metric. That's really been the strength of this offense over the course of the season. And they're really trying to find solutions for this passing offense. Um, they rank 16th in EPA per drop back. They've really struggled on early downs. And that's been the issue with the passing mm. offense is they've been setting themselves up um, in these, in these third and long situations because of incompletions and, and negative screen passes on, on first downs and, uh, and second and longs. So the, the, the strength is the run game and the Eagles don't have a particularly good defense, however you cut it, but they don't really have a good run defense. And, and that's somewhere that the chargers could exploit this Philly defense. And, and it's really been the left side of the offensive line. Like that's where they're, that's where they're getting the production, in the run game, Corey Lindsley at center, Matt Fowler at left guard, Rashawn Slater at left tackle. They are moving people. And, and a lot of their big runs, the 28 yarder from Eckler and the 75 yarder from Jackson and that Patriots game right behind the left side of that offensive line. That, that's really the strength of this offense right now. Surprisingly, 
Yeah, uh, three new acquisitions for them, obviously, along the offensive line. Uh, those three guys that you just named. Uh, to me, like, I, I, Rayshon Slater, I don't know what your preconceived notions were coming in, but he has surpassed my expectations, uh, has been outstanding for them. Um, what is the discourse around him when you when you look at how the team and uh, the community, or, you know, the, the, the Chargers fan base, how they're discussing Rayshon Slater and uh, his performance so far through eight games? Yeah, I think it, and digging into Rashawn Slater's past, you know, you knew he was going to be very technically sound. You knew he was going to come in as a very polished player who was going to be able to make an immediate impact. And that was certainly my expectation based on, you know, watching him, talking to people who know him. Um, but I think he's even exceeded that in terms of how well he's played and how consistent he's been both as a pass protector and a run blocker. The, the Chargers feel comfortable at this point, leaving him on an island again, at left tackle against some of the best edge rushers in football. You know, whether that's Max Crosby, whether that's Chase Young, you can go down the list of the guys that they've got that, that Rashawn Slater has faced off against this season. He's held his own time after time. And then I, I think the one, you know, you, and, and that's how got people talked about him is, like, OK, this guy can pass protect. He's technically sound. He's got the fundamentals, the strength at, at a young age to come in here and, and be, a, you know, an island left tackle. But I think where he's he's really proven himself is as a run blocker, like he's mm. a bulldozer and he's super athletic. He can get out on the edge and on stretch run plays and the screen game. Um, and he's really an impact player moving people out of the way and creating holes in the left side of that offensive line. He, he's a franchise left tackle. And, and personally, I think he should be in the conversation for rookie of the year. He won't be because that's just the nature of, of being an offensive lineman in the NFL, but he's been that good. Uh, so the, uh, Derek Barnett will see a lot of rushes against Slater. He saw Penny Sewell last week. So uh, a couple of big time rookies uh, that Derek Barnett will see on a con on consecutive games here. Let's go to the other side of the ball. I'm going to ask you to put on your Ronaldo Hill hat, uh, former NFL defensive back, worked under Vic Fangio in Denver last year. Now in his first year as the defensive coordinator, what do you think that he would view as the biggest strength for this defense? What gives Ronaldo Hill the most confidence going into this matchup against the Eagles? Right. So it's a, a you know, a, a, a two-headed brain trust there with head coach Brandon Staley and Renato Hill. Obviously sure. they were together, together in Denver and both come from that Fangio tree. Um, and, and, you know, they are both focused on pass defense. How do we prevent explosive plays and, 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 and the game planning for those two guys always starts with, okay, what are our coverage screens going to look like and how are we going to limit the passing game? They've done an excellent job of that this season. Um, they're fourth in, in, uh, in, in pass defense DVOA. They've prevented explosive plays. They've gone up against a lot of really good quarterbacks, Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and they have limited those offenses for the most part in terms of their explosive passing game and passing game overall. The run defense has been a major issue, um, and they're going up against a good offensive line in Philly. And so what does that look like? They took a step forward against the Patriots last week coming out of the bye week. They got Justin Jones back off IR, who's one of their better run defenders. Um, and they limited the Patriots to 3.6 yards per carry. It was, in my opinion, their best and most consistent run defense performance of the season. But can they continue that? Is the consistency there in terms of the tackling, in terms of the physicality up front? Because they they had a step forward against the Raiders. It looked like they had solved some issues in the run defense, but the physicality disappeared that next week against the Raven against the Browns, and then uh, additionally against the Ravens in the in the week after that. So. That's really where the focus is. Can they continue this consistency with the run defense against a good Philly um, offensive line? But, the, you know, the pass defense is going to be there. Uh, obviously, Derwin James coordinating all that in the back end. Uh, he's been excellent this season. You know that's going to be good. It's can the run defense show up again. 
Ironically enough, the big question here locally in Philadelphia was about the Eagles' run game offensively. And uh, this past week against the Lions, they run for 200 yards. They, they, ran, they ran the ball a boat ton. So uh, everybody was excited about this run game. Now, will that continue? So it's interesting that both sides uh, of that coin, uh, teams excited about, or the fans excited about what that could be. So now going into this, overall, what do you think is the biggest concern for Brandon Staley and for the Chargers on either side of the football here in this game, in this matchup? Yeah, it's the right side of the offensive line. I mean, it's been an absolute mess. And heading into the season, anyone that looked at this roster closely could see, okay, the, the, the starting group that they put together, four new starters on that offensive line, um, and then Brian Belaga, who is returning at right tackle, you looked at it, you said, okay, it's good on paper. If that group can stay healthy, they'll be okay. But if they suffer some injuries, one or two injuries, they could be in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Belaga went down in week one, which everyone expected because he, he's, his body's deteriorating on him. And then Ode Bushi tears his ACL on a freak play early on in that Browns game. He's done for the season. And all of a sudden, the right side of their offensive line is Michael Schofield, who they signed off the street, and Storm Norton, who was in the XFL two years ago. Um, and it looks about how you'd expect. Uh, they're struggling over there. The Patriots exploited it. Matthew Judon rushed over the right side in that Patriots game pretty much the entire game, and he had 10 pressures. Um, the right side combined to allow 11 pressures in the game. Overall, they allowed 17 pressures in the game. So that's an issue. And they got to figure it out because – the pressure is affecting Justin Herbert right now, and everyone's can say that he's regressing as a quarterback, but he does not trust his offensive line. It's very apparent when you rewatch these games, um, and that's that's impacting his decision making um, in these games. So they have they have to get it figured out. They're trying to help those guys. They're chipping. They're sending tight ends over there. They're sending running backs over there. Um, but when those guys are isolated in known passing situations, it's a, it's a big issue. And and this this Eagles defensive line still has a ton of talent. And that could be a big matchup in this game. It's certainly a concern for this team entering Sunday's game. Yeah, I mean, you dropped a, a great nugget in your most recent column uh, over on The Athletic just about the the drop in of the efficiency against pressure. You know, Justin Herbert last year, number one in the league with his quarterback rating against pressure per, per pro football focus. That dropped all the way down to 17th in the league, uh, which is a huge drop, so, you know, 16 slots uh, with what he's done against pressure here this season. And that does set up the matchup. I talked earlier about uh, that Josh Sweat versus Storm Norton kind of matchup. I think that that's where you'll see the majority of those snaps for Josh Sweat come up uh, against Storm Norton. Is there a matchup in your mind uh, that really stands out to you here in this game? Yeah, I think it's going to be Justin Herbert against this Eagles passing defense because quarterbacks have been surgical against this defense this year. Good quarterbacks, I should say. Not Jared Goff, but, <laughs> you know, Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr have performed very well. Um, and, and the one big thing coming out of this Patriots game for Justin Herbert was, okay, can you be disciplined and can you be patient? When teams are going to drop everything back and play the cover two zone or play cover three, can you take the underneath stuff and be patient and matriculate the ball down the field? Can you do that as a quarterback? Cause that's the next step for him is to be able to be disciplined in those situations. And that's, he said that after the game, I have to get to my check down. I have to move to my check down more consistently. You know, teams are going to be trying to take away the vertical passing game. Can I hit the check down consistently, whether that's Austin Eckler or that's Donald Parham and Jared cook on flat routes as tight ends. Um, so can he do that in this game? Other excellent quarterbacks have been able to be surgical in those situations to get this Eagles defense that has played a ton of zone this year. Just looking at the numbers before we hopped on here. I mean, the Eagles have played the least amount of man of any defense in football this year, according to true media. So that's what I'm looking at. Can Justin Herbert, he said he this is what he wants to do. He wants to be more disciplined and patient. He wants to get to his check down more often. This is going to be a great opportunity to do that against the Eagles defense that plays, plays a ton of cover three and a, a ton of zone. So that's really what I'm looking at. Can Justin Herbert take that next step 
and be that patient, disciplined, experienced quarterback that the, that the Chargers are hoping he can be against this Eagles pass defense. And that's funny that you bring that up because that was another item in that column that I read uh, of yours after Sunday's game. And it really kind of speaks to this matchup. I think when you look at it from an identity standpoint, what Jonathan Gannon and this defense want to be, it's very similar to the one that Ronaldo Hill and Brandon Staley have put together with the Chargers. Hey, we're going to play a, a lot of zone. We're going to play, we're going to play our safeties deep, a lot of too high looks to start. We're going to try and play a lot of disguise. We want to prevent explosive plays. The Eagles have excelled at preventing the explosive deep ball uh, down the field. Obviously, you're not going to bat a thousand in that area uh, in today's NFL, but you're going. That's that's the goal. That is the identity, and I think that that's going to be what they're going to try and force Justin Herbert to do. Hey, can you stay patient? Can you uh, take what we give you underneath and um, you know matriculate the football down the field? So it definitely sets up for an interesting night uh, here in this one. Well, Daniel, thanks so much here for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Uh, we will talk to you again soon. So great stuff there from Daniel Popper. And again, you can follow him just like I do on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. Now, uh, to wrap up the show, we're going to go into some of the cutaways from Eagles game plan. Again, these are the clips that didn't make it into the final show, into the final uh, 28 minutes of content that I was able to squeeze into Eagles game plan. But still great analysis from John Clark and Ike Reese, Mike Quick, of course, Greg Cosell. So due to time constraints, couldn't squeeze it into the show, but saved it right here for you guys here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Let's go to that clip right now. And when we talked about Justin Herbert struggling the last couple weeks, a lot of it was the pre-snap looks, disguises, mixing up the coverages. And we saw Jonathan Gannon do some of that in Detroit. Would you like to see that continue this week? Yeah, and it has to be strategic, right? So you can't give any good young quarterback a steady diet of the same things. You want to mix things up. You want to make that clock in his head speed up a little bit. So different pre-snap looks, some disguises, even when you're in zone, coming up to press as if you're a man, anything to make him hold that ball just a tick or two longer to allow that pass rush to get to him is going to be beneficial for this defense. As talented as this young quarterback is, he's still a young quarterback. And you have to make him think. And you're right. If he can hold it for a tick and allow those guys to get to him or the outside guys, when they come up and they play a little tight pressure on the wide receivers and he's got to hold it, it allows those bigs to then eat, to get to the quarterback and get those sacks like they got last week. But they do have a special player in Derwin James. Now, he might be labeled a safety, but in Brandon Staley's defense, he plays five different positions. And Brandon Staley has talked about that. And I've seen all seven games on tape. And you see him playing on the back end. You see him playing in a stacked position like a linebacker. You see him playing on the ball. You see him playing detached, matching up to receivers, both tight ends and wide receivers. So Derwin James does a lot of things for the Chargers, and he does them all extremely well. Now, I want to start with the run element, because this is where James can be truly special. And it allows the Chargers to play, particularly in their nickel with five defensive backs, they play with what you might consider a lighter box. They will play in a 4-2 front, six in the box, a 5-1 front, six in the box. What they do, James, in those situations will often line up as a back-end safety. But he's so good at adding into the run game from that back end that it's almost as if he is a box defender. All right, yeah, you got to account for Derwin James there. Who else do the Eagles have to look out for? Well, Joey Bosa, he's the guy that can wreck your offense. And 
The thing is, they're going to move him around. He could play on the left end, but you could see him on the inside in the three technique. So it's not just the right tackle of the Eagles. It's everybody on that offensive line. They have to be ready for this guy because they're going to mix him around. Wherever they think that there's a weakness on your offensive line, he'll line up there. He can wreck the offense. So they have to be aware of Joey Bosa and where he is on the football field. And did the Eagles come up with the formula in Detroit? <laughs> 46 rushes. Chargers are giving up a buck 60 on the ground every game worst in the NFL. Do the Eagles continue to run the ball? Well, I think that's the million-dollar question, right? I think they will continue to run the football. But every game has its own identity, right? So when the run game is working as successful as it was last week against Detroit, you certainly want to stick with it. And there was no real need to press the passing game in there. This game could be a little different. I do expect the Eagles to implement the run game as a part of the strategy to beat the Chargers this week. But it doesn't mean I should expect 40-plus runs this week. They will run the ball, but I think we're stretching it a little bit if we think they're going to run the ball as much as they did last week. This will be a different game versus the Chargers. But guys, when we see how effective the offensive line was in dominating yeah. that line of scrimmage, you best believe Stoutland, the offensive line yeah. coach, along with those players, they're asking for more of that. I will say this. Um, if they have the same amount of success they had last week versus Detroit, then they will stick with yeah. the running game. Nick Sirianni said he goes with the hot hand. Yes. Hot hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me throw that in there. And again, be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Fridays across all Eagles channels, or if you live in the Philadelphia area, NBC 10 at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Great stuff. Once again, from Ben Fennell, Daniel Popper, everybody here this week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks to all of you, and thanks to all of you out there as well for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week. Week.